Coming up on today's show... Tomahawk Live was lit. The Browns beat the Steelers and Miles Garrett is suspended. Two out of three isn't bad, Joe. It's week 11 in the NFL and we're on the gravy train with biscuit wheels. Seatbelt paranoia, end zone cake stands, and why drinking Spark almost ruined my football career. All of this and much, much more coming up on another Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award winning episode of The Tomahawk Show. This is Jerry from Youngstown, and the rivalry is back, baby! Here we go, Brownies! Here we go! Andy, Durango, Colorado. What the hell? How can the Browns make a win demoralizing? Why do I do this to myself? This is John in Cleveland. Joe and Hawk had a great time Wednesday night at the live show. You guys are amazing. Just got to say, never thought that Miles Garrett would take the name of the podcast so seriously. Woo! The 100th episode was crazy. This is Jake from Ohio. I got Hawk signature on the towel. She was insane. So if you didn't go to that 100th episode, you missed out a little bit. Not Modelo's this time. Couple of, <laughs> too many Coronas. But it was a fantastic time. You guys have a good night. Joe, Hawk, this is Mike and Brendan. We just came from the show, and uh, holy hell, what a great show. Wouldn't you agree, Brendan? Hell of a hundredth episode, boys. <laughs> you love to see it, Joe. Listen, everybody, welcome to the Tomahawk Show. As you can hear, we are fresh off of our 100th episode celebration, which was live in Cleveland, Ohio at the House of Blues. It was a magical night, man. And I'm not just saying that. I'm not, I know we always bullshit here and give ourselves extra accolades and, and compliments, but I'm not kidding. The show was super, super dope. Fans had a great time. The guests had a great time. My co-host, Joe Thomas, who is the greatest left tackle in the history of left tackles, he had an awesome time. Joe, how you doing today, man? Doing good, man. Still recovering from the uh, hangover I had in <laughs> Cleveland after a couple rough nights. Uh, fun Ooh. nights, I will say. I, I, I definitely agree with what you said. Uh, we're always full of crap on this show. We don't really tell many truths. But when we do, <laughs> we're really serious about it. And we are serious that that live show absolutely blew the doors off the House of Blues in Cleveland. It exceeded the expectations of even the most optimistic members of Uninterrupted. And there were shouts from the ceiling rafters after of <laughs> one more year, <laughs> one more year, Dude. because everybody in there could not wait for another live show at the House of Blues in Cleveland. I'm not even kidding, man. Like, I've, I've done a lot of stuff in media. I do a lot of live shows. I've done, you know, we do TV and all that. That was the most fun that I've had doing media my entire life. I actually oh. told my mom that. She was asking how the show went. I'm like, <laughs> it, it was one of the rare times where I can actually walk away and say, that was fun. I hate everything that I do. I never listen to myself. I hate the way my, my voice sounds. I hate seeing myself on TV. You know, but that to me was like. Which that is so amazing to me. I mean, honestly, like anybody that has low self-esteem should hear you saying that because <laughs> I listen to your voice to help put me to sleep at night because it is so silky smooth and your cadence is fantastic. I mean, if anybody on earth has a voice 
and a rhythm made for TV. It's you. Listen and that, for yeah. you to say that you hate the sound uh, of your own voice is unbelievable. I hate it. I'm not even kidding. I hate I think everything I do is terrible. I have like Isn't the deepest weird? imposter syndrome that you've ever imagined. Yeah. That was I mean Dude, I had that. So I was decent at football. I had, <laughs> yeah. I had that big time when I was playing, but here's the question of the night, Hawk. Give it to me. Since you, out of all people, seemingly hate the sound of your voice. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you don't like the smell of your own farts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what that is. Because that would brand of be similarly implausible. Like. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think anyone who likes the brand of their own uh, toots is a little weird. Oh, uh, much well, like us I having do. this conversation. I thought most people like their own fart smells. Yeah. <laughs> Let's open it up for 101 episodes. Let's get weird <laughs> out the gate. I love it. Here's a fun fact about me, Joe. My uh, biggest fear when driving, I always forget to put my seatbelt on before I take off because I'm usually rushing really? to somewhere. So, which means I usually put my seatbelt on while I'm driving. My biggest fear is that I'm going to crash mm. trying to put my seatbelt on. Mm. So sometimes I'm so fearful of that that I'll say it's too late. I just got to ride without the seatbelt because I feel mm. like being distracted putting the seatbelt on would be actually the irony of my life where I'll actually get in a crash in that moment. Is that a weird thing? But do you see where yeah. I'm coming from? No. No. No, very okay. weird because <laughs> being the superior athlete that you are, it took nine days to get from fat keg belly to rippling six-pack. You're not able to grab your seatbelt and buckle it while keeping your eyes on the road and I, one hand on the wheel. That's fantastically impossible. I, I think it's more uh, my irony. So I don't believe that. I'm just like it would like it just just in my mind it's that would be my luck. But the only way anybody would notice that is if you had some type of dashboard camera. It's not about what other time. people so, think. It would be me. <laughs> As I'm crashing, I would be thinking like that would be my luck. That would You'd be like, that would be what that was an ironic way to die, man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yourself. Before we get into the important things, I think we just heard the greatest voicemail in Tomaflock history. <laughs> Who knew Miles Garrett would take the name of your show so seriously when you guys were in town for your hundredth episode? Oh man, that was awesome. That was awesome, man. Miles was extremely excited that me and you were in the building, uh, and he wanted to show us some love, little little post game love, and we appreciate it. And we will we will dive heavily into that in just a second if you are listening hit us up on social media at reddit twitter instagram at tomahawk show join the facebook group tomahawk or leave us a voicemail 440-628-1376 i have to give a special shout out to every single member of the tomahawk that came to the live show man we did the meet and greet we had an awesome show i got a shout out all the special guests that joined us on stage out of the kindness of their hearts michael irvin colleen wolf steve smith senior uh, Josh Cribs, Terrell Pryor, John Greco. Um, who am I missing here? Don't tell me. Phil Taylor, Andrew Siciliano, Ken Carmen. Who else? Fat Nat was in the building. NFD, my man. We had a family reunion of sorts. Zerm sent in a video. It was awesome, man. We had an extremely uh, incredible time, and we appreciate all you guys who made it possible. Can't release the. Can't wait to release the video. Uh, for everyone to see it, we will be doing that. We're just figuring out the scheduling for it, and you will see with your own eyes how incredible it was. So, run dog check. Let's do it. Dog check! All right. The Browns got the W, 21-7, against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thursday Night Football. Like I said, me and Joe were in Cleveland doing our NFL Network thing in the pregame sesh. Everything was awesome. The Browns' first win against the Steelers in five years, I think, since me and Joe were actually on the team. 
Um, funny story about that game, real quick, before we get into the real nitty-gritty, because I know you guys love Andrew Hawkins' stories. That game, <laughs> 2014, we beat the Steelers at home. We actually whooped them, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, Smoked them. In that game, John, can you look up my stat line in that game while I'm telling oh. the story? So, Carlos Dansby. You know, we always talk about Dansby, who's a linebacker on the team. He was really into, like, supplements and being ready for the games. He would take Spark. Spark was his thing in pregame. And I remember early in the year, he was, te- he was telling everybody early in the year, you got to try this. You got to take Spark before the game, man, get you ready. So, slowly, a lot of guys just kept taking it. I remember Joe Hayden took some. Dante Whitner took some. You know, Isaiah Crowell tried some. Terrence Wet. Like, people were like, yo, it gets you juice before the game. So, we're playing the Steelers at home. I'm like, you know what? I want to make sure I'm from the Pittsburgh area. I want to make sure this is the game. I put my best foot forward. Go ahead, pour me up some of that spark, Los. He pours me up the spark. I take it. I get the tingling. My hands start to itching. Palms get sweaty. I'm like, oh, I'm starting to feel it. I'm getting juiced. I get out for pregame. I drop about seven balls in pregame. <laughs> like, And I'm like, I don't know what the hell is wrong with me. I can't like focus on the ball. It's, it seemed like the stadium was four times the size it was. I'm jittery. I can't stop sweating. I can't stop moving. Do you have my stat line from that game, John? Two targets, zero catches. Zero catches. I dropped two <laughs> wide open passes that would have been touchdowns. <laughs> I, 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 my oh mind my was going a mile a minute. So we kicked their ass, but I had zero catches, zero yards, and I played about 60 snaps that game. <laughs> and after the two drops, the reason why I only had two targets because after the two drops, Brian Hoyer – brilliantly stopped throwing me the ball. There were like four other passes he could have threw to me for touchdowns, but he was like, you know what, Hawk, you're not in it today. I'm going to go elsewhere. It was a brilliant move on his part, but yeah. So, finish that game with zero catches, zero yards for drinking spark in pregame, Joe. All right. Were you a, not a coffee drinker or no. any pre-workout or anything? So, was that your first experience with caffeine? Yes. Like, in, in oh. like a setting for, that oh, I was using for, you know, energy. Bad yeah. timing. Because... You're talking about spark like it's full of crocaine. And <laughs> yeah. Spark is merely caffeine <laughs> with vitamins. Like, yeah, but I never be I, yeah. any more simple. And so, if you're a regular coffee consumer like myself, who drinks in the thousands of milligrams of caffeine every day, <laughs> uh, two scoops of spark it's is nothing. like throwing a deck chair off the. Why well, drink soda? Shit. I just never drink anything like for games. And I think there's also beta alanine, beta alanine in it. Alanine, what is the word I'm thinking yeah, of? Yeah, vitamins and minerals. And that, but it makes your hands of, itchy. Like, it makes uh, your palms itch. It's like itch. a vasodilator that enhances blood flow. That's the same thing with arginine. Yeah. All right. Well, so, okay. So, the Browns beat the Steelers, which is a joyous event. We should be super excited about that as former <laughs> Browns and Browns fans and guys who still Woo! root for the squad. But that was not the feeling, Joe. Do you know why that wasn't the feeling, Joe? I, I do know why, and let me tell you why. Because before the game, we did the Thursday night football pregame show from the Muni Lot parking lot, oh. and it was absolutely the most lit pregame that we've oh, had. Oh, my God. Browns fans were absolutely going bananas. Yep. And the postgame was the quietest postgame <laughs> that we've had the entire season. And you would think. All those Browns fans had already called in sick for Friday and they were ready to party and burn the city down Thursday night after the first victory over the Pittsburgh, the hated Pittsburgh Steelers in five years. 
But no, there was nobody that was willing to celebrate because it felt like we lost after that game yeah. because of the Miles Garrett taking the Tomahawk Show 100th anniversary celebration a little too seriously. <laughs> yeah, man, it got it got ugly. So I was at the game for a little bit and I left early. I had nothing to do for the post game, so I went back to the hotel. I got back to the hotel right at about 10 seconds left in the game, which is where everything no came way. So I got timing. to the, the, the hotel bar, looked on the screen, and I'm like, oh, man, things are getting – oh, they're getting chippy out there. And then I see Miles Garrett swing the helmet, and my jaw dropped. Mm. And I don't think the people around me really understood how big of a deal it was. But I think for me it was like a little extra because as a football player, right, and, and, and playing with a bunch of football players who I'm – for listeners out there, let me tell you something about players in the NFL. They all have crazy to them. Like, none of them are all that sane. They all have a place they can go to because you don't have a choice but to do that. I'm telling you right now. And you might be able to name a lot of the crazy football players, but even some of the guys that you're like, oh, he's a stand-up guy, and he's, you know, he seems pretty good. He's got it together. There's a, there's a different level of uh, a tick of crazy they can get to. Even with playing with all those guys, it's almost the unwritten rule of you don't hit someone <laughs> With your, you don't turn your equipment into weapons, and it was heat of the moment. But I was like, "Oh man, this ain't, this is not going to end well for Miles Garrett." And that was indeed the result. What was going through your mind when you first seen it, Joe? Well, it was interesting because with about five minutes left in the games, when it's Thursday night football, uh, the NFL Network post game crew has to move to like the post game set area so we're ready because as soon as it goes to zero zero zero, they pull out the set and we sit down and we get ready and like five minutes after the game, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, they wrap it up and they throw it to us and so we were standing on the sidelines, but unluckily for us, the fight happened at the complete opposite end of the field, so mm. we were like over a hundred yards from it and actually. I was talking with Colleen and one of our producers about, you know, what were the videos that we were going to be talking over. And as you know, like you're talking about all the stuff you're going to have to talk about for the next 20 minutes of recapping the game and trying to sync up what you're saying with the video that they're showing. And so there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of moving parts that are going on right at that last few minutes of the game. Right. Um, and I, and I hear, in my ear, because I can listen to the broadcast through my IFB in my ear. So I hear Joe Buck and Troy Eggman going, oh, oh my word. I've never seen anything like that on a football <laughs> field before in my life. Oh, that's just horrible. And I look up like, what in God's name is going on? There's eight seconds left and the Browns are have already won this game basically and i see the entire steelers bench running onto the field Ugh. which is something you only see in training camp fights because as everybody knows in the nfl if you leave the sidelines to join a fight that's like a big no-no that's a right. big fine they will see the video uh, they will find you they'll suspend it uh, they'll suspend you for doing that yep. and so i was like what in the hell is going on and the crappy part for us is that as soon as that happened the video board shuts off the feed so you can't see what's happening by watching the video board and it's so far away and there's so many players in your way i can't even see what's going on on the field so i'm completely lost right and so it wasn't until way way after the fight was over really the game was already over that uh the nfl network crew huddled around like one of the little tvs that we have over by us and they finally sent us the fox feed where they were rewinding it so we could kind of see exactly what happened and as soon as i saw it i was like oh man miles crossed the line like 
One thing you don't do is when somebody's got their helmet off, you don't hit them in the head with a <laughs> yeah. fist, your, your foot, and you certainly don't hit them with your six-pound helmet or their six-pound helmet uh. because you can do some really, really significant damage yep. up to and including fatality. Yeah, uh, facts, man. Hawk, have you ever seen somebody swing or hit somebody else with a helmet before without a helmet on i i mean i don't want to put somebody out there i'm not going to say any names but i feel not like to say the name i feel like it happened with us in cleveland one time it did okay and i was wondering if you remember and it's it. it's weird because when it happened and, and, and for people listening me and joe have not talked about this but i was no. like man i've never seen that and then for some reason some you know you get like a little taste of a memory i'm like but i feel like i have seen someone do that in a practice setting and you tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm right or wrong, Joe. He's a very, very good player, or maybe not. Yeah. Maybe we're not thinking of the same no, guy. No, he was like a. Well, I mean, I think it's okay if we put him out there. We had him on the show on Thursday. Yeah. Night. <laughs> I was actually going to ask him about it on Thursday night, and the night got away from us because we were having too many giggles, and we were talking about a bunch of other stuff. So I, I never brought it up, but uh, Phil Taylor actually hit. One of our offensive linemen. Was it Mac? With his own helmet. It wasn't Mac. It was Garrett Gilkey, actually. It was Gilkey. That's who it was. Um, I was thinking it was Mac. And in my mind, no. the offensive lineman hit Phil Taylor. It was Phil that hit Gilkey. You're Phil, right. Phil hit him. And, and it was one of those things which often happens in training camp fights where uh, it was the one defense versus the two offense. So I was taking a knee in the back with like the offensive line. And usually we're going over, all right, what were the plays that we just ran and how did they go? Essentially, what were the looks? Where were your mic points? And the quarterback's usually over there. And if it was a run period, a lot of times we'll have the running back over there and he'll, we'll be talking about your reads and, and, you know, just going over the details one time so that if those plays come up again in practice, we can make sure we're on top of it if anything was wrong. And all of a sudden you hear, oh, you know, guys pushing and shoving. And so I look up and all of a sudden I see Phil Taylor holding Gilkey's helmet and he just, same thing, tomahawk right on the top of his head. Um, and, and Laughing. Time, I was like, ah. like, well, thankfully nobody got the hurt. The tomahawk move. In, we love it. Yeah. Thankfully nobody got hurt seriously in that. But at the time I was like, oh, well, that's way over the line. Uh, but he didn't get like suspended or anything. Like I think they kicked him out of practice, but that was it. And maybe made him apologize to, to Garrett. But um, I think that just shows you the difference between training camp and games. Like, yeah. In training camp, it was like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. That, that You definitely can't practice the rest of the day. <laughs> like, oh, in in a game, it's like, whoa, we need to get him out of the league. Like He can never play again. Like oh, This guy's done. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we have seen that move before, and I think that yeah, maybe – Maybe that's more indicative um, of, our, of us than it is <laughs> the game of football. Yeah, maybe that's why I wasn't quite as shocked as some people. So um, after the game, Fox and NFL Network always have a brief reception in our hotel to have some food and drink since – um, a lot of those people are working freaking all day. Like mm -hmm. me, I get to sit there during the game and sit in the green room and get fat and take naps with Steve Smith, as you'll see if you follow me on Twitter. At <laughs> it's Joe funny. I left, the green, I left the green room because I'm like, if they see me sleeping here, because I was dead tired. I'm like, if I was sleeping <laughs> yeah. here, there would, I'd probably get in trouble. Right. So I left. I didn't realize that was a nap station. Yeah, yeah. So it was Jeez. funny. Uh, Steve, Steve was like out in the middle of the first quarter, <laughs> and so we all like got up quietly. Even the producers were not, and we like took the picture of him sleeping there. That's it was funny. only like a five minute nap, but it was great because we immortalized the photo of the <laughs> entire green room empty with Steve Smith sleeping on the couch. Um, but but anyway, so after the game, 
I went to the little reception and had some chicken wings and some pizza. It was delicious and uh, some Great Lakes brewing beer. By the way, my beer is all sold out in Cleveland, and it's yeah. made me sad because I was uh, really hoping too. to get some. But anyway, so I, I was. Um, we were talking about the fight, obviously, because everybody wanted to get my take on Miles because they know that I know Miles very well. And, right. And Erin Andrews was like visibly shook. She and and I think part of it is I think her husband. She was saying it was a hockey player and maybe was either involved in some of the bad hockey fights or like. Mm-hmm was related somehow and she was talking about how like some of those guys like the one marty mcsorley got it like yep with the hit in the face with the hockey stick and another guy got blindsided one time with a punch and it sounds like those guys are having like serious issues still related to that and mm-hmm. obviously when you tomahawk somebody with their own helmet it's similar to hitting somebody in the face with a hockey uh, stick, a hockey stick. Yep. um and so she was like really upset about it and and i was a little bit, but I wasn't on that same level probably because I'd been maybe hardened a little bit because I'd seen it once before right, right? and everything worked out okay and knowing that uh, Mason Rudolph was actually fine after the game. and um, So I think that kind of maybe softened the blow a little bit for me um, and part of it too, knowing like um, in my opinion that there were some things that led to it that maybe could have been done differently and we wouldn't have ended up in that outcome. So mm-hmm. Um, I'll open it up to you first. I know the big conversation on Twitter was, did the NFL get the punishment right for all the parties that were involved? I don't think so. I think Mason Rudolph should have been suspended. Um, and, and maybe that is the Steelers' punishment. Maybe they were like, no, we're going to make him play for you again because now you can't bench him. <laughs> no. And now he has to play for you again and throw four <laughs> more. play. Yeah, like maybe that is the punishment for the franchise. Yeah. But I feel he like not play so well that night. for his role – um, he should have been suspended at least one game. It actually doesn't make sense to me that, you know, Marquise Pouncey, and I get it, we're, you know, he he stomped, kicked, and attacked Miles. But as an offensive lineman, Joe, isn't that the reaction? It, from all the O-line that I've been around, especially the good O-linemen who take pride in what they do, every practice that I've ever been involved in, um, every game where someone goes a little extra on the quarterback, Every offensive line coach I've ever heard is, you never let that happen, offensive lineman. So it was cool. They were breaking it up. Once he seen Miles hit Mason Rudolph with the helmet, he he did his job, right? So it was weird to me that he got three games, again, and I understand for like the actual action of what he was doing, but it's weird to me that he got three games and Mason got zero, but Mason is the one who started and clearly started. And you can see in the videos from start to finish, this was also the doing of Mason. Yes, Miles Garrett, his punishment is his punishment. His is kind of separate than everybody else because, again, that's a line you don't cross. But I do feel like Mason Rudolph should not only be fine, he should have also been suspended for at least one game. So I think the NFL, if Miles would not have swung the helmet and hit Mason in the head, had Miles taken that helmet, and done the old Kyle Turley. What you supposed to do? It right into the end zone. Taking that helmet, thrown it into the end zone, made Mason Rudolph go fetch it like a golden retriever. I think he would have gone down in Cleveland lore forever because that would have been just the greatest scene. Of oh all my time. gosh! Like you could you res- showing the restraint that he did against the hated Steelers after Mason had done what he had done leading up to that. Um, uh. Would have been fantastic. Even better, if he would have jogged over and tossed it into the stands for like some lucky fan. Now, he would have been fined a huge amount for yep. throwing something in the stands, but it would have been worth it. It would have been and worth it. And it would have been way less than the fine he's going to get for missing six games, which is in the millions. Yes. Um, and so 
Had he been able to do that, that would have been amazing and Mason probably would have been suspended. But being that Mason was the receiver of the tomahawk helmet chop to his head. Yep. And everyone's um, calling it that for everyone listening at home. Everyone's calling it, it the tomahawk is, chop. He is now the victim because somebody crossed the line and escalated it, right? So to the, the very start of it, and I know the Steelers fans are really jumping hard on, well, Mason was hit late. He'd already thrown the ball and, and Miles tackled him. Okay. He was kind of I'm going to take you back. It, it was not a penalty, first of all. And we know how trigger-happy NFL officials are right now about throwing flags for unnecessary roughness hits on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. It was not flagged. He did tackle him late, but he hit him while Mason still had the football in his hand. And I'll take you back to like 2006 or 2007. How old was Mason? Kiwanuka. Okay, I thought you were going to say Mason, Mason Rudolph. Rudolph. I thought you were going to say 2006 with Mason Rudolph. No, no. It was 12. Yeah, Mason Rudolph was this five SOB. Years old. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, Matthias Kiwanuka was playing for Tom Coughlin with the Giants, and he was a defensive end. And he wrapped up the quarterback, and the quarterback pump faked. And because when you're a defensive lineman, uh, way back in my college and two times in in uh, college and in, in yeah. high school, yeah, you, were, uh, you, were the I, top. you wrap up a quarterback, you can't see that he has thrown the football now. The only time you can see it is if he's already released it, right? So Miles wraps up the quarterback thinking he still has the football in his hand. And going back to my point with Matthias Kiwanuka, Matthias actually lets go because he thought the quarterback had thrown it because he pump faked. The quarterback still had the ball. Quarterback starts running and throws the ball and gets the first down, and he comes to the sideline, and his coach like absolutely lays into him, and deservedly so because he didn't finish the play. And so if you're a defensive lineman and you hit a quarterback while he's got the ball in his hand, even if he then throws it, you have no way of knowing if he's thrown it or not other than to finish the tackle. Now you have to still abide by the rules where you can't land with all your weight on him. But tackling him to the ground if you hit him once he has the ball is what you're supposed to do. So Miles wasn't out of his realm of what he is supposed to do as a defensive lineman by hitting and tackling the quarterback to the ground because when he made contact, Mason had the football in his hand. And so Mason then became the aggressor by taking it to the next level, trying to rip his helmet off and do all those other things that he did when as a quarterback, you need to know your role. You need to understand that your offensive linemen and the refs are the ones that are your protectors. You are the littlest, softest, weakest man on that football field. Yep. Until that kicker trots his little ass out there, you are the softest person on that field. And you do not pick a fight with anybody bigger than you. That's why you have offensive linemen. That's why you have officials. Name a good quarterback in the NFL who would try to fight any defensive lineman in the NFL, much less Miles Garrett, who's one of the biggest, strongest, fastest, most explosive. Yeah, we and he trained in MMA in the offseason. We all know how you feel Stipe. about Miles Garrett. Everyone who listens to he the Tomahawk show, <laughs> the last dude on the face of the earth that I would try to pick a fight with. Yeah. So Mason tries to pick the fight with him by trying to twist his he- helmet and rip his helmet off, which is clearly a bad idea. And so at that point, you're kind of instigating it because. What you should do in that situation, if I'm Mason Rudolph, is you should put your hands in the air and start complaining to the ref and wait for your offensive lineman to come over and, ha- and start beef with Miles Garrett, which is what happens when you're an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. You protect your quarterback. So as soon as he starts doing the helmet rip, I can understand how Miles wants to get up and rip his helmet off. Be like, dude, you're way out of line. Like, 
I can rip helmets off too. Yeah, and he but, did it way easier and with one hand. Because yeah. <laughs> well, Mason, you saw how Mason was Mason's struggling. He was. was the, yeah. It reminded me. I'm surprised his head yeah. didn't come off with the helmet. That would have looked really yeah. bad on national TV. Just head. You know what? Off, ma- fatality. Yeah, that would yeah. Pop goes the weasel like the old <laughs> yeah. uh, dandelion game where you just flip the dandelions and the, they pop right Body off. Body still running but, around. Yeah, like, no, you know what it reminded me when Mason had two hands on on Miles's helmet. And he was trying to get it off. He couldn't even barely twist it like a, the, <laughs> the weakling that he is. It reminded me of when I was trying to open my beer at the Tomahawk Live 100, and I with it no was can opener. Off. <laughs> I was like really struggling until TD came over with the bottle opener and really assisted me yeah. along the way. Um, but but that's what it looked like. And then all of a sudden, Miles was like, "Oh, you want to play that game?" Boom, pops it right off. Yep. Um, that's but, where Mouse should have stopped. That was that's where he should have stopped. Popped it off. You if, have to if he show. throws that helmet, turns to the crowd and starts waving his hands up and down. Oh my gosh! The I'm, city I'm of Cleveland has a five point three on the Richter scale earthquake because they would they have put went absolutely ape shit. First of all, we'd be buying shirts, GVR shirts today. Oh my god! With that that image of Miles holding the Steelers helmet, like yes, like a head, a head from Roman Emperor, from like the. <laughs> Yeah, from like the, the Roman, Roman days or like uh, the Viking days, <laughs> right? He'd like cut your opponent's head off, um, or he'd probably be on that poster that LeBron used to be on in the building yep. downtown Cleveland. Absolutely, but instead he he goes for the tomahawk chop, and then we all feel like things uh, at the end of the Whoa, game. Was, bro. It, it was a loss instead. But I will say, all right, Marquise Pouncey, I understand what you're saying about defending your quarterback. Uh-huh. Give it to me. I agree with that. But once your quarterback is not in danger anymore, all you're doing by continuing the fight and the battle in the manner that he did with the kicks and the stomps and the punches is you're endangering your own team and you're hurting yourself because now you know that in the NFL, when you start punching and you start kicking and stomping, that's suspension. And now, first of all, you're not doing anything productive because as we've gone over a million times in this show, mm-hmm. when you kick and punch and stomp somebody that has a helmet on, you're doing nothing. Yep. You're only hurting yourself and your team. Absolutely. And so now I know after the game, Marquise was like, I don't care what my punishment is. I had to protect my quarterback. You already protected your quarterback. If you watch what David DeCastro does, he grabs Miles and he renders him useless, essentially by blubbering his fat body on top. I love you, David, but we were all <laughs> offensive linemen, or I was an offensive lineman one time. I know what a fat body can do laying on top of somebody. You're not going to be able to move, right? And and so Miles is laying on the ground, and David's on top of him, and all of a sudden Marquise is going to come over and ret- retributively stomp him out and do mm-hmm. nothing about it. Like, I understand if it's a bar fight and you need to, like, really, really pay, make sure this guy understands, like, not to mess around next time. I don't – Okay. I don't think the – Mentality is that different. But the problem is, in a game, you're not doing anything. Like, Miles is already not attacking your quarterback. He's got a helmet on. So by retributive justice right there, you're not going to do anything but hurt your team further. And so at that point, you may as well just allow the NFL to handle it. Let me let me ask you this. You've already already defended him. Right. There's nothing more you can do. We're in a bar, right? Me, you, your wife is in the bar with us. Somebody comes over. Slaps your wife, right? Are you going to separate them and say, "Okay, I'm here now. I protected you. We're done. This is this is done with." Okay, you back away. Is that going to be the end of it? Even though the fact that you're there now, he might say, "Okay, Joe Thomas is here now to protect her." You know, I'm not going to do it anymore. And, and because he now thinks that, okay, I'm I'm done. Are you going to be like, "Okay, that's enough, buddy. 
Now get out of here. Or are you going to see red? Let me add a layer to you. Let me add one layer for you. Okay. Here's your layer. This guy, we're at a bar. Yep. Comes up, slaps my wife. Yep. I've got five police officers standing right next to me. They instantly jump on top of him. Not police officers. Do, do, Your boys, right? Do I need me. to go? Do me, I need to, uh, me, NFD, Fat Nat, Producer John, the whole clique from the Tomahawk Live, we jump on this dude. Are you going to be like, okay, yeah, they got it. I'm good here. No, I'm going to stomp him out. But exactly. that's different. Exactly. <laughs> it's not different. That's no, different. I'll tell you why it's different. Now, I get what you're saying. You're going to say that it's a game. It's a different setting. It's not a bar fight. No. But I think in their no, no, mind. No, 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 no. You've missed my point. Okay. The police officers are the officials and they're the camera and they're the people in New York that run the NFL that have seen this all that are going to give you the justice that you need. By stomping a man or kicking a man that has a helmet on, you've done nothing except suspend yourself and hurt your team. So you wouldn't you're, stop you the guy. You can't out. hurt Miles. He's already laying on the ground. He's got his helmet on. I know, but it's do? off of If principle. he went over there and choked him, I would say great move. It's off of principle. Because you can hurt him by choking him, but you can't hurt him by punching and it's, kicking him. It, it's just, it's off of principle. There's nobody in the Steelers locker room, Steelers organization, so, Steelers fans, a teammate who is not holding Marquise Pouncey with the utmost respect. The Rooney family I get it, probably called wrong. him in the office, shut the door, said, you know, go put the special code in there into that little, you know, that little safe over there. And uh, that the shit, the wine that they've been brewing since the, when they won their first Super Bowl in the 70s probably rose out slowly from the automatic button. They cracked it open. They poured a little bit for Pouncey, a little bit for the rest of the Roonies in the room, and they sat there and they just had a, had a nice little evening out of it. And uh, you know what? Nah. You'll never pay for another drink at Pittsburgh the rest of your life. That's right? true. Those are true statements. The Browns You're aren't right, saying but, that about but Miles. But they're wrong. The, of course we support Miles. We love Miles. He's an so, incredible uh, player, uh, incredible uh, guy. Uh, hang on. All right, go ahead. No, no. Before we go any further, give it to me. At what point do you stop? Like, I know. I don't so know. you're saying it's good to go over and just like kick and stomp just to prove a point? Like, I don't think oh, don't it's mess proving with our quarterback. But you point. didn't prove anything. You just got yourself suspended. You didn't hurt Miles, and you got yourself suspended. It's not proving a point, right? It's 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 showing so what's that the point of it then. Because what the point is, I think all the teammates look at him like, yo, that's someone that has my back. That's someone I will walk into a dark alley with under any circumstances and any time. He is accountable. I know that if I need somebody. They're going to be there. I don't think that was the point. I think the point of it was, this is my team. This is my quarterback. This is my teammate. This is my friend. This is my brother. You're not just going to hit him over top of his head with a helmet okay. and me just be like, oh, that's all good. The rest will take okay. care of it. So, so for that to be true, what you just said, mm-hmm. then you're saying that the other 51 guys in that roster don't get that from their teammates. They Now, David DeCastro, the guy that was in the middle of it that ended up jumping on uh, Miles and pinning him to the ground. Yep. So is everybody in that locker room saying, oh, that David, he doesn't have my back. I would never go to war with this guy. He he doesn't love me as a teammate. I don't trust him. Both things can be true. But you can so, probably trust so one a little bit more. If both things can be true. If I'm going in a dark alley re- and I'm picking one, if, hey, I'm not picking the guy that's laying on top of the, the, the guy we're fighting. I want Marquise Pouncey. Okay. Well, so if, if both things are true. I don't want Mason Rudolph. Equal, he can't come. So No. <laughs> both things are equally true. Price. Wouldn't you want the guy that is going to be out there for the next three weeks that isn't suspended? Uh, No. Well, I guess winning is just more important to me. For a guy that finished his career 1-15, in 15, <laughs> no in 16, and a guy that finished his career in the Super Bowl winning Patriots, winning is more important to me than <laughs> retributive justice. And I still think that David DeCastro 
has the back of all of his Steelers teammates. Even he though does, he didn't absolutely. Flail his arms and legs at his opponent that was already rendered useless laying on the ground that had already given I'm, him. I'm with you. I, I, I think he, he also has the back of all of his teammates because he was one of the first guys there, right? You didn't need to be first or you need to be the best. He was the first guy there. <laughs> History only remembers the guy who does it best. He doesn't remember the guy who does it first as much as the guy who did it the best. All right, Joe, let's take a break to talk about our sponsor for this show, Yoked. You are Yoked, and everybody is wondering, like, how did Joe get an eight-pack after being a blubbering lard mm. for so many years? Wow. How did you do it? Uh, now that you've destroyed my ego, okay. uh, that's okay, but I'll, I'll, I will tell you something. I've been on this product called Yoked for... About six months now, and uh, I've been a guy who is always a protein supplement guy. So throughout my whole career going back to college, I was always a protein guy, right? And protein's great. It helps with muscle synthesis. It helps build muscle. It helps preserve muscle when you're exercising. But this new product called Yoked is really cool because it is not a protein supplement. It's not a protein replacement. But what it does, it actually makes your protein shakes more effective. Mm. It works in your stomach with the protein that you're ingesting after you work out to make your protein better. So you build more muscle, you preserve your muscle if you're in a deficit, and it makes you yoked like me. So if you ever get your ass off the couch okay. and get yourself some yoked, this will make your protein supplements better and your eight pack harder. All right. I like that. How does it taste? Because that's always my thing when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, putting things in my body to make sure that I look mm. like a Greek god because I'm going to get oh. I'm just going to take time. Mm. I always wonder, does it taste bad? How does it taste, Joe? Yeah, you know what? It's awesome because not only does it taste good, but because it is made from fertilized egg yolks, it has a creamy consistency. You know, like the delicious part of a malted milkshake or a shake is if you ever put a raw egg in there, it's because that that egg yolk makes a creamy consistency that's delicious. So it actually takes your protein shakes, which are pretty decent, but can be a little bit gritty sometimes. And it makes them creamy and smooth, much more like a milkshake. And it's delicious. My like kids that. love it. So it actually not only makes your protein shakes better for you, but it makes them taste better also. Awesome. I love that. Listen, we are giving all of you listeners an exclusive discount so that you can try Yoked for yourself. Head over to Yoked.com and use code JOE20 at checkout for 20% off of your order. And if you order from Yoked.com, you will be entered into a sweepstakes to win an all-expenses-paid trip to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California on January 1st. So use the JOE20 promo code for 20% off of your product at Yoked.com and have a chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime college football experience. Go get that muscle. All right, we got a voicemail? Because we still have to dive into this. What's up, Tom Flock? It's Thomas Price. I've got one last little question I want to ask you all about this uh, Miles Garrett situation. You're you're Miles Garrett. You're in that situation. What what do you do? Because uh, the way it went down for my eye is that Rudolph goes, recharges at him, swings at, at Miles' nutsack, and then that's when Miles pops him with the helmet. So my question is, what should have Miles have done? Yeah, so Mason Rudolph clearly started something he couldn't finish. He did not know his role because he's a very young player in the league. He doesn't understand that this is not college anymore. Just because you're a big 6'5 quarterback doesn't make you big and tough anymore compared to the guys that you're on the football field with. Like we just mentioned, you are the weakest, softest man on that field until the kicker strolls his sorry ass out there right. for the extra point. And if it was Pat you McAfee, you'd still be last. 
justice into your hands. If you think it was a late hit, you need to complain to the ref or complain to your offensive lineman who will take care of it during the whistle as best that they can. If you're Miles Garrett, like we just said, the best thing for him to do was to not put up with it, but take that helmet and toss it right into the stands and become a hero for all of Cleveland. But right now, because of what he did, he has put his team in amazing amount of jeopardy. Mm-hmm. He's put his coaches in jeopardy because yeah. he was the best player on that team by far. He was a player of the year candidate. He had an amazing game that night against the Steelers. They could not put a glove on him. He was demoralizing that offensive line and a good offensive line at that. Three pro bowlers. Mm-hmm. Nobody could touch him. But now he won't be there for the entire rest of the season. And their defense was looking really good. They were carrying the team for the most part because the offense still hasn't figured their shit out. And he's gone. And I don't know how you replace a guy like that. And so while people in Cleveland are going to be excited about, oh, Miles, you know, and maybe down the line 10 years from now, they're going to talk about this the way they talk about the Turkey Jones taking Terry Bradshaw and slamming him on his head um, and how it – sparked a rivalry and it sparked this hatred and it's that replay that people still think about when they think about the Browns and Steelers rivalry uh for the rest of the season the Browns are in a world of hurt without Miles Mm -hmm. the organization right now is embarrassed the owners are embarrassed the coaches are embarrassed Miles is embarrassed yep and if they if these players love this coaching staff they have done the worst possible thing for them because the narrative so far in this season has been The players are undisciplined because of all the penalties, because of all the immature comments and things that they've done in social media, including a few weeks ago, one of their safeties, Jermaine Whitehead, tweeting death threats at the media after one of the games. And all the different things that have happened that give the sense to the people on the outside that this is an undisciplined team that doesn't respect their coaches. And then when something like this happens – on top of all the things that have already happened, it's hard to change the narrative. Especially tonight or Thursday night, they had a lot of penalties, which the two previous games, they'd kind of had them under control. And so they were starting to change that narrative. But unfortunately for the coaching staff, now you have this huge and embarrassing thing they have to deal with. And they're going to have to win a lot of games and look really good down the stretch to change that narrative because it's going to be hard to overcome at this point. Yeah, I mean, with Miles, man, I mean, and I get that Mason Rudolph started it. We agree there. I think Mason Rudolph should be suspended, period, for his role in there. I think Mason Rudolph was a punk. That that is a definition for me. That that's what a punk does, right? You start a fight and then you throw your hands up and say, "Oh, somebody come save me!" Oh, look, you had you did you see what he did to me? That's the biggest punk move you could do. There's a reason why the quarterbacks that you look at as good leaders or competitors, they don't act like that, right? Like, that's just not what a quarterback does. I don't care if he was hitting you late, taking you down. I mean, it's indicative of the kind of player he was that night. Four interceptions. He played terrible. The way he was throwing doesn't look like he's a guy that should be starting in the NFL. So, again, the biggest punishment for the Pittsburgh Steelers is that he didn't get suspended, and he's still (laughs) their starting quarterback. And I honestly, truly, (laughs) honest to God, believe that. Right. And then you go in the media and they act like you're being bullied or, yeah, I mean, it was total Bush League. Uh, Like, come on, man. You know what you did. Be a man. He, right, that's not what a man does. I mean, we I, I can't defend what Miles did, but the fact that Mason tried to act like right. he was the victim and had no part in it, absolutely, it, it was off putting to me. Exactly. Now, um, clearly, when you raise the stakes and hit somebody in the head with the helmet, like you've crossed the line, and now you become the victim. And actually, 
while you think Mason should have been suspended, I actually think the NFL got it right on all the suspensions. I thought they were right with Miles. I thought they were right with Pouncey. Mm-hmm. I thought they were right with Ogunjobi. Even though what Ogunjobi did was like almost nothing. He, <laughs> he bumped stupid. Mason in the back <laughs> and Mason fell to the ground. It was just... It was the fact that he hit the quarterback in the back when he wasn't looking, and he wasn't even part of the fight. It was the textbook you know, people undisciplined. That's like yeah, the definition. People on TV were calling him the coward and stuff. And I know Larry, and he's really a great person. He's got a great story to get where he, he is, and he's one of those like guys that is the first to arrive, the last to leave, hardworking, blah blah blah. He made a huge mistake for being just an idiot and acting. Uh, he acted poorly. That's mm-hmm. all I'll say right there by just pushing the quarterback in the back. Come on. He's not even involved in the fight at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just a bad decision. But with Mason being the victim, essentially the guy that got hit in the head, it would have been a bad look for the NFL to, to suspend, suspend him. And I get it. Yep. And so they, I think that what they said is they find him. Who knows how much it was. And and like you mentioned, it's a, a pretty good punishment for him yeah. that he, I mean, and the Steelers that he has to keep playing. Yeah. And he got conked pretty good. I mean, that was that's punishment enough for, for Miles. So I was saying that. To to, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say anymore. Oh, I was saying that to tee up the Miles take. So for Miles, that is stupid, right? Because you know I, I think that yes, Mason Rudolph acted like a punk, but you're a big dog. You and Mason Rudolph, regardless of the fact that he's their starting quarterback uh, by process of elimination, because Ben is not there, you are not on the same level. You know what I mean, Miles? You're one of the best players in the NFL. Mason Rudolph is not top 300, top 400, 500, 600. He's not. Right. If you pile like player for player, Miles, you are probably top 10 most talented players in the National Football League. You got to let that go. And if you don't, if, if Miles would have dropped the helmet and hit him with a nine piece punch combo, it still would have looked terrible. But you still wouldn't have the reaction that people were having yeah. now watching mm-hmm. the visual of him hitting him with his helmet. Right. If Miles drops the helmet and just tees off on him, like if he just did everything Stipe taught him in the offseason right there on Mason. <laughs> We would have been like, ooh, you probably could have let him slide, Miles, but we get it. But he he learned his lesson. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't go looking for trouble unless you want it. You know, don't Mm -hmm. start no shit, won't be no shit. That's what what little John the East Side boy said. (laughs) But because he used his helmet, because you also crossed the line that NFL football players understand that you can't cross. I don't care how tough you are. The discipline is you do not hit somebody when they don't have a helmet on, let alone with the helmet. It was unnecessary. You didn't need to do it. I don't care if the Castro is holding you back. There is not a situation where Mason Rudolph needs to have anything used in a fight against him. I don't care, like you said, the kicker. The kicker would go toe-to-toe with Mason Rudolph. He is not tough. You could see that whole sequence and understand that. You know, So, Miles definitely crossed the line, and you're right. I think they got the suspension right. I just, It, it's just, it just doesn't sit right because it is a discipline thing for Miles. Right, mm-hmm. and, and we've seen it early on. We actually had this discussion on the podcast about Miles earlier this season after he got the the, the penalty versus the Titans, after he got the penalty, mm-hmm. the late hit versus the Jets, and he hurt the quarterback. We mm-hmm. said on the show, Miles has to be careful because they're going to start labeling him a dirty player. And once you mm-hmm. get that moniker, it is hard to break. And Dominican Sue has kind of been a model citizen over the last four years. But when you think of Dominican Sue, what's the first thing you think of? Him stomping mm-hmm. on quarterbacks. Vontez Burfick will never be able to live that down. The list goes on and on. Um, and for Miles, that lapse in judgment, I'm I'm hoping he he will bounce back from. Uh, and he will because he's, again, one of the best players in the league. It just sucks that he's not there 
for a team that needs them so desperately, for a regime, a coaching regime that needs them so desperately, for a roster, right, who everyone has their eyes on anyway, who needs them so desperately, and for an organization who finally has the talent that they deserve and they want to get wins and they want to turn it around for the city, who needs them so desperately. That's that's the bad part. I talked to Miles Friday morning. I was working out in the Browns facility, and, and he walked through there, and he did not look right. He was physically, mentally very upset about how things unfolded, and you could see that things had sunk in. And um, while he was very upset at how the situation unfolded and how Mason came at him a couple times, mm-hmm. he was also really upset with – how he let himself lose control of his emotion and how it now is affecting him and his brand and his image and his team and the organization in the city that he loves right now. Um, and I really am concerned for Miles's career and when he comes back, and this is why. Mm. Because if you get to know Miles off the field, he is a dyed-in-the-wool pacifist, I will say. He right. is like the softest, cuddliest teddy bear. He dog lover, poetry writer, deep thinker, like anti-war guy, like that you've ever met. He's kind of a nerd and too. Like he is a giant nerd. Yeah. Um, him and I went to the women's national team soccer scrimmage in at Brown Stadium like a year ago or so. I, I took my daughters. It was really cool. He went there because he's just like a big women's soccer fan. Right. Like, outside of football, he is the least violent person that I've ever met in my entire life. And I think that may have even been one of the conversations when he was coming out in the draft was like, yep. ooh, he's not a real football guy, he's you know, a, because yep, he doesn't. You're right. Uh, I remember. He doesn't run through the bars and, you know, smash bottles on people's heads and he's not getting in these bar fights and he's not like, uh, you know, snot bubbles coming out of his yep. nose and wow. like, like yeah. Bonesaw. Remember remember Bonesaw, the guy that yep. uh, Scott Solomon, defensive lineman, would have done anything yep. to play in the NFL on the defensive line. That's not how Miles was. Like Miles physically has all the gifts in the world. And so I think Miles mentally was always trying to get himself – into that mentality mode that you need to to be able to be a great defensive lineman in the NFL or a lot of people think that you need to get into right. where it's like I'm on the field I'm I'm a dog now I'm I'm in hunt mode and I worry that because Miles feels so bad about what happened that he's going to there's a potential that he loses that ability to get into that, that killer mode. mindset because he doesn't like himself when he's there because of like you mentioned uh in the titans game when he like sort of open hand punched one of the other titans players mm-hmm. um and you mentioned the jets game which in my opinion he was just tackling the quarterback and unfortunately the it was Trevor pretty Simeon's late foot got caught underneath it was a little bit late but i, I think the whole year miles was like i want to be the player of the year i want to get myself into that conversation so i need to be relentless in how i play the game and so that's why he's always kind of maybe this season pushed the line of like hitting people late mm-hmm. where it wasn't meant to be dirty, but he's trying to play as hard as he can to the whistle, trying to make sure people know he's always out there trying to get that last hit in. And, and occasionally as a defensive lineman, you do hit people uh, a touch late on, on occasion. Mm-hmm. Obviously this is different because he just lost his cool. And so I wonder if as he's sitting out for the rest of the season, if mentally he's trying to reconcile who he is on the field and 
why that person turned into somebody who would tomahawk chop another human being with a helmet. Uh, or as the great article that I saw uh, on my Twitter, Miles Garrett suspended for trying to place <laughs> Steelers helmet back on his head, which is like a funny onion uh, headline, although it wasn't an onion. But yep. um, anyways, we digress. Uh, so I, I do wonder, like, how is Miles going to be able to come back and bounce back and be the same player he was this year next year? So, because like you mentioned, he doesn't see himself as a dirty person or player. He actually sees himself as completely the opposite of all those he's things. not and and this will be my advice to miles if you're listening because obviously you're listening miles who doesn't listen <laughs> to the, the damn tomahawk show Duh. be you like it's okay to be a nerd and a nice guy that loves soccer and cosplay right like and you could still be a badass <laughs> football player don't feed into this bullshit narrative not just around the team but like that man we are the bad guys and i have to be this player like because that's not him dude it's not who Miles is is a guy who gets sucker punched by a fan and doesn't get out of his car, and he's because like, ultimately he doesn't care, right? Like you don't have to get on the field and then because the lights are on, the cameras are on, and this is the persona that people have told you you need to have or that maybe people have set around this team and you you know you're trying to assume that role. You don't got to do that. You're just better than everybody else. That's okay. It reminds me of Troy Palomalu. Troy Palomalu would hit me as hard as he could. Do the sign of cross over top of me. Help me up and say, better luck next play, <laughs> buddy. He killed you. You're really, you're really working hard out here. Burial. And he's being dead serious. He's not being facetious. He's not yeah. joking around. He's like, you're a really good player. And I, I hope, I, I wish you better luck next play. And I'm like, thanks, <laughs> Troy Palomalu. You know, like it's okay to do that. And he's one of the best safeties yeah. that I've ever played in this division, in the NFL, you name it. Miles, it's okay for you to do that. So I'm hoping that this not only wakes him up to that, to just be himself out there because himself is still better than 99.9% of the defensive ends in the National Football League. I would say the only defensive lineman better than Miles right now is your boy AD, yes. Aaron Donald. And that is Aaron. Like if Aaron took a helmet off and conked somebody with it, nobody would be surprised. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> like I'm surprised that hasn't happened earlier. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Troy Palomo comparison is really good, though, because Troy was one of my favorite players to go against. Mm -hmm. uh, not because of how easy he was. No, he was a beast on the field. Yes. I mean, talk about cutting people's legs out like vicious tackles. But as soon as the play was over, was, hey, buddy, how's the family? Yeah, it hey, was. <laughs> he was the nicest person like, ever. You can play the game of football relentlessly and be exceptional hall of fame yeah troy palmo no doubt hall of famer change mm -hmm. the game change that position of safety um and still be a nice person and have friends and respect the other people on the nfl field like, yes we're all brothers when we're on that field together because this is not like the old days where you don't ever switch teams and you know i'm with cleveland forever and i hate everybody that's in pittsburgh no right although like, you were with cleveland forever field. and hate everybody in pittsburgh but good but continue yeah, there's a lot of dudes in that field who had played for the other side. Right. And, you know, for you, like you played for the Bengals, you played for the Browns. Yeah. This is today's NFL. It's more about the players now, like as one big group uh, versus like this team of players versus that team of players and so on and so forth. Like the fans are a little bit different. And now it's changed a bit because fans have leaned more towards being fans of individual players 
and less of just teams like it was maybe when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. But still, for the most part, like if you're a fan of Cleveland, you're probably going to be a fan of Cleveland forever and you're never going to like change and be, oh, well, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be a Steelers fan. Like it doesn't really usually happen uh, all that often. Like as a player, if you wake up and all of a sudden you're traded, like the first thing you do is, oh man, get rid of this shit. I can't wait to get rid of all this clothes and get all my new right. uh Chicago Bears garb or whatever the hell the team would get traded for. So, what about the win, guys? Oh yeah, we did win, Joe. We won. I did win. Thoughts? All right. Here's my quick <laughs> thoughts from the game. Uh, the first few drives of the game, I thought the Browns' offense looked as crisp and clean as they have all season. Baker Mayfield was making decisions at a level that he hadn't made decisions on since last season. He looked really good. He was throwing the football well. He was throwing it on time. They play selection was really good for the Browns. Um, I thought they were really good as far as utilizing the quick passes to get their playmakers on the edge of the football. They were utilizing the RPOs. They used both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield together, which is such a dynamic uh, attack scheme that puts defenses in such a bind because they don't know who's blocking for who and if kareem hunt's catching the football kareem hunt ended up being the leading receiver with six catches um but then they kind of stalled and it almost seemed like they took their foot off the gas a little bit because juju smith schuster got knocked out one another one of the pittsburgh that scares me got knocked out that scares me uh James Conner got uh, put out with a shoulder injury. Miles Rudolph was playing terribly. So uh, the Steelers had no Just ability to come Mason back and, and win the game. One person, I like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Steelers had no ability to come back unless the Browns turned it over. And clearly, Baker had the directive from above, like, whatever you do, don't, don't turn the football turn over. The football <laughs> like, over. <laughs> we cannot possibly lose unless you guys turn the ball over. Yep. Um, but I feel like you walked out of that game going, we could have won – 40 to zero if we would have just kept our foot on the gas like you see the Patriots do every single week we would have walked out of there with such an unbelievable level of confidence and momentum going through this easy stretch of our schedule uh and so that was disappointing for me all right well my thing is this with the with the, with the Browns the, the Browns look great love the win we got the Dolphins and the Steelers in the next two weeks we'll play the Steelers again and I made it such a crossroads because I'm I am an old school football guy because it's how I was brought up in Western Pennsylvania. I like big hits. I like being tough. I think it's like I had the little guy syndrome out there. It's what made me a football mm-hmm. player. I I got excited of the fact of facing giants and taking hits and being able to pop up and be still call people names and be like, oh, you better come harder than that because that wasn't enough, right? So what scares me though about this game was something I've seen between Cincinnati and the Steelers that brew where the rivalry wasn't just about playing hard. It started to take like a little bit of a dirty turn, right? It then all culminated at the end with Miles and the Mason Rudolph situation. But even earlier in that game, the helmet-to-helmet hit on Deontay Johnson where he's walking off the field bleeding from his ear, right? That's tough football, right? Juju takes a helmet-to-helmet hit. He leaves the game early. And you have these instances, even Odell and, and, and Jarvis, which I actually didn't mind this part, them yawning back to Mike I like Tomlin. That, I, I that was, was the part I like. I thought that was cool. To me, that was great. That is the rivalry I'm looking for. Not so much that's the good. other side of it, because I think in the next game, right, with everything that's happened in this game, all that does is continue to escalate. I've seen it with Cincinnati and the Steelers, and it culminated in me being at the Steelers-Cincinnati game and watching Ryan Shazier be carted off the field, right? And then Juju over top of Vontez Burfick when he gets him. Mm-hmm. And then they do the celebration afterwards in the end zone, right? Like this is the thing about football to all these players. You might think that shit is cute, but your day is coming. Football is a 100% injury rate. 
So while you can celebrate another guy being hurt or doing all these things, you think that's cool? Your day is coming. That's why Joe says we're all brothers in this. Like you have to keep it some level of integrity, integrity, some level level of class in the game. It's okay to be hard nosed. It's okay for the big kids. It's okay to be tough, but there's a line that you shouldn't cross. And I feel like, as good as I feel about the win, I just feel like when you cross that line, it only escalates from there. And that's the only thing that worries me. You can bash me on Twitter if you disagree. Yeah. So I, I will say one thing. Point of clarification: the hit on Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith Schuster. I didn't think they were malicious. They were no, no. a penalty, and I thought it was just some of those things that happen when uh, with today's NFL rules and the way you're not allowed to hit receivers defenseless in the head, neck area. And it didn't seem like any of those were anything more out of the ordinary. They were just hard football hits that were flagged, and those guys got injured, uh, unfortunately. And it's the type of hits the NFL is trying to take out of the game, but it didn't seem like it was – a malicious attempt to hurt somebody. So I will I will say, I will put that out there. Um, I thought it was a game that was played really hard and there was a lot of big hitting, but I didn't see a lot of after the whistle type stuff. Mm-hmm. So it didn't seem like it was getting unnecessarily chippy until the end, obviously. Um, and so I like the fact that Steelers-Browns rivalry is sort of reignited and there's a good hard hitting football game going on, but you hate to see when things cross the line because like you mentioned, the Bengals and the Steelers rivalry, it had gotten ugly for a few years there with the dirtiness um, that was going on. And let's hope that in a couple weeks, it's a really hard fought game, Mm -hmm. a lot of big hits like we all like to see, but you don't want to see people cross the line. You don't want to see people intentionally hurting each other because like and you I'm, mentioned. T- I'm telling you I, I know you said those are clean football hits and I get it the heat of the moment I've, no, I've I, 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 I didn't mean to no I, I didn't know. mean to say clean I yeah. just meant to say they were football plays they that weren't were unfortunately trying to hurt right. each other but the Steelers aren't viewing I can promise you they're not viewing them that way right because they're taking yeah. the, the the culmination the 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 sum of all of them together and it's going to be bulletin board material when they play in two weeks so I mean you I think everyone yeah. gets what we're trying to say here so, we're, we're in agreement. let me answer this yeah so um after this happened, Antonio Brown went on Twitter and posted a tweet <laughs> of him kicking Spencer, Spencer Landing, oh, the Browns man. punter, in the face when that happened a few years ago on a kick return. And uh, he said, this one's for you, Mason. And I retweeted and I said, come on, man. We, we, don't re- we shouldn't be encouraging or celebrating these type of actions like what Miles did. And right, what you the did. Way you spiked Spencer Landing in, in the face. Um, although he was, in my opinion, he was trying to hurdle him, and it wasn't like right. he was going to try to kick him in the face. And but, let's be honest, that was um, an awesome highlight. I, just, I mean, I, I mean, I, I was, mean, on, was, I was awesome on the field, and I was like, "That is the coolest shit oh, I've ever amazing. seen in my life." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a totally amazing. But right. I, I think maybe as you get older and you spend more time in the NFL, you realize like, wow, there is a life after this, yes. and it's not cool to try to hurt each other anymore. Like maybe when you were 20 and 21 and you came right out of college, like, Oh yeah, let's, let's knock somebody out. Yeah. But you realize, I don't know. I think when you get older, it's just a maturation process. Like 
I see what those injuries do to people like later in life. Mm-hmm. And you see how serious this is and that football in the end, it is just a game. Right. And we all love it. We make an amazing living doing this. Um, but these are human beings and these are their lives. And this is the stuff you're going to have to live with forever. Yep. If things go too far and you have serious head injuries, serious neck injuries or any type of injury that's going to live with you for your whole life. Like I guarantee that if, some long lasting injury happens on the football field when somebody's trying to like take somebody out that uh, 10, 15 years from now, there's going to be a lot of people that feel really, really bad about it. But my point that I was trying to get to, which took forever is so AB tweeted back at me after I tweeted that. <laughs> and he said something like, uh, you're totally right champ. Yeah. And I want to uh, hear your perspective. Well, I was hoping you followed up with the come on the Tomahawk show. I'm like, wow, what a missed I, I opportunity was, by Joe. A.B. Totally agrees with you? I think yeah. it's a perfect time so, to bring him on the show. No. So <laughs> what I want to hear from you is, was he trolling me by calling me champ, being that I won one game in my last <laughs> two years in the NFL? <laughs> or was he actually having a come-to-Jesus moment where he was thinking, you know what, you're right. Like, this is a game and we shouldn't be trying to kill each other and intentionally hurt each other. I we took can it play as hard him. and within the rules <laughs> and knock people out and win games and do all those things, but uh, we don't have to intentionally hurt each other. Or was he thinking, fuck you, you ain't one shit, champ. <laughs> that's basically what the uh, translation okay. was in my I, I took it as him agreeing. When I seen it, I'm like, oh, that's okay. a pretty cool moment between AB and, and Joe Thomas, two legends yeah, in the man. AFC North. I didn't even think of it as like, the sarcasm. Now I got to go back and so look at champ, it. So the champ, I took it off. as he was I'll, agreeing. We'll have to we'll have to revisit this on Tuesday. I'll get to yeah. your take on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a deep dive. Give me give me a little bit of time on this one. All right, Hawk. You know what time it is? Yes. It's time for another edition of Am I Tripping? All right. Am I tripping? It is time. If you've made it this far in the episode, that means you were really into our Miles Garrett talk. Um, and it's time to talk the rest of the NFL. John, what do we get? Lamar Jackson has now defeated Deshaun Watson, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson all in the last month. He's faced well-documented criticism, but that seems to have dissipated. And now people are lining up to praise and celebrate Lamar Jackson. So am I tripping or has Lamar Jackson become the most beloved player in the NFL? <laughs> Joe, tee us off, baby. Thank you. So I'm willing to admit that I was wrong about Lamar Jackson. I didn't think that he would be able to throw the football well enough to survive long-term in the NFL. And I didn't think that his game with running the football as much as he does would be able to survive in the NFL of big hits and lots of injuries because actually in this game, we saw Deshaun Watson take a hit where somebody landed on his foot a little bit awkwardly. It looked like he may have... Uh, hurt his knee, maybe like an MCL tear or maybe like a a high ankle sprain. Um, And it seemed to affect him a little bit throughout the game. But I will say that I underestimated Lamar Jackson's change of direction ability. I don't know if I can ever remember going all the way back, except until you get to Barry Sanders, somebody who was able to change direction as suddenly as Lamar Jackson. And I think because of that, defenders are so measured when they try to come in to tackle him that they never really are able to put their full 
momentum and explosiveness into a tackle on Lamar. And you hardly ever see him getting wrapped up and then having another two or three guys like come in and, and smoke him, which is a lot of times where you see some of those injuries happen where one guy wraps up the quarterback and then you got two guys coming in and piling on top and finishing him up and getting him all twisted up. Um, Lamar Jackson, not a big quarterback. He's not like a Cam Newton. But I think that helps him because it helps with his elusiveness, mm-hmm. his ability to avoid the big hits and the big tackles. And then he also, once he does reach that point where he knows he's kind of going down, he just goes down quick. And so, well, if he does lose a little bit of that quickness, now I think that he will be susceptible to those big hits. I mean, I can think you easily could play 10 years in the NFL and not lose any quickness like this. I mean, we, we still see Adrian Peterson playing, uh, yeah. Into his mid thirties almost. I mean, Adrian and I came in, he was a year younger cause he came out early, but he's 34 or 33 right now. And he's still got most of the same speed and explosiveness. That yeah. He had not the he same a kid. Well, I said most. And so I think it's pretty like 60%. easy for me to think <laughs> that's still most, I guess, technically. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say though, no, seriously, in all seriousness, I think Lamar Jackson can play at this level for at least eight to 10 years. Yeah. So without I, getting injured. But I do think once he loses a little bit of that, then he is going to become susceptible and yeah. he'll have to have become a really, really good passer at that point. Kind of like Deshaun Watson has. Um, or it'll be hard for him to stay healthy in the league. But he has improved as a passer really, really well. And the way they use that offense, I watched their game today, the way almost every play starts with someone running horizontally, which stretches the defense Mm -hmm. with a run fake, and then him running a different direction or rolling out in another direction. It's opening up these huge lanes in coverage where he is able to learn on the fly as a passer a little bit because he doesn't have to just stand in the pocket like a Daniel Jones and just throw into tight windows and make great uh, coverage decisions on every single play because the way they do run guys horizontally, they are stretching that defense horizontally and vertically uh, and opening up really, really big lanes where you see guys consistently are open when he's throwing them the football. Yeah. But here's the thing. So here's what I think about Lamar Jackson. Number one, he's the most likable guy in the NFL. Right, like mm, saw even, your tweet. I mean, after the game, him showing love to Deshaun Watson, but it wasn't just Deshaun Watson. When someone outplays Lamar or he doesn't play the best, he doesn't be like he's not like, oh man, f them, they didn't do anything. Like he shows him love. He was like, yo, they got the best of me today. I got to get better. No one cares. I got to work harder. Like that's like the textbook thing you want your quarterback to do, and it, you could just tell he cares so much about winning. Like that, when you look at him, you don't think, oh, Lamar Jackson's after the stats. He's not. He's doing whatever the hell he has to do to win. And you're right. I don't think his shelf life is as long as the traditional quarterbacks that we've seen, right? The big, tall, stand-in-the-pocket guys never take hits. You build players around them. Those players get old. You produce, you re, you uh, replace them with other new players you put around them, new receivers, new running backs, blah, 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 and that's cool. Um, and the argument for running quarterbacks like Lamar, like Cam Newton, uh, like Deshaun Watson is you haven't seen an old quarterback continue to do that. Well, here's why. You talked about Adrian Peterson. Yes, he still has some explosion. He's still a shell of himself in his prime because he's one of the best backs that we've seen in the NFL over the last three decades. So when you're an athletic person, you just lose your athletic ability, right? Like it's like in basketball, the big high-flying dunkers can't do that at 35 and 36. It's why Tim Duncan is Tim Duncan for 40 straight years because he played the same way throughout. And the big 
you know, highlight flash people with the exception of maybe Vince Carter, they fizzle out after 10 years because the athletic ability goes. It's father time. And I think that is what we'll see with quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson included. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think the game is changing. You talked about their offense. They spread guys horizontally. They have Hollywood Brown going deep. And I do think Lamar Jackson is reading. If you watch him, he goes through a progression every time. And he sometimes comes back and he makes the right throw and he puts it in the right place so many times that I'm like, oh, that seemed lucky. But now here we are, 30, 40 plays into those tight window throws, and he's making them like, oh, okay, that can't be luck every single time. I, I, I hope I didn't come off as saying that I don't think he's reading the defense because I think he is. What I'm saying is that it makes it easier on him that he is so explosive with the run game and that they have an offense mm-hmm. that spreads the, t- the defenses horizontally and vertically that he doesn't have to sit back there 35 times a game and right. throw into – half a yard tight little windows into double coverage that's because a, yeah. guys are running wide open because of his, his threat, threat as a running back. And, and how, so how much easier he, does that make it on him? So it's, it's crazy well, to that's think. That's what I'm saying. It's making it so much yeah. easier on him, which is great because he isn't the best passer in the NFL. He doesn't throw like Russell Wilson. I think the shelf life for quarterbacks where you look for a top guy and you say, hey, I want him here for 15 years, I don't think that'll be the case anymore. I think it will be the 8 to 10 range and then you you re-up when the athletic ability goes because here's the reality. There's probably a lot of running quarterbacks that were trying to fit into a, a pocket passer system style that the NFL was that just weren't there. So if they were able to get an offense like Lamar and build around them that has some athletic ability, like I remember playing Tyrod Taylor when he was a backup in Baltimore, and I, 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 and I get he's a little older now, but we had fits with him in, in Cincinnati because we were like, shit. We want Flacco to play because Tyrod scares us because he'll take off running, and we can't stop him from doing that. Kyler Murray, 10 years ago, if he wasn't a good baseball player, he would have came into the league, he would have been a slot receiver. There is no way in hell, 10 years ago, they would have let Kyler Murray play quarterback in the NFL. Wasn't going to happen. 15 years ago, absolutely not. He would have been Julian Edelman. He would have been Antoine Randoel. He would have been Heinz Ward. He would have been the list of receivers, you name it, who had to transition as playmakers because they're quick and they're athletic. Now I think this will be the new wave. I think they will look for guys like this. They will build the offense around them the same way because, A, it's exciting. Like you said, B, it fits closer into their skill set and it's harder to prepare for. But I don't think they'll stick around for the 15, 20 years that we've seen out of Peyton Manning's the Tom Brady's and all these quarterbacks who can, can preserve themselves and just sit in the pocket and pass all day long. Here's my bold prediction for the day. When Tom Brady up and moves on from New England, Mm -hmm. I believe that Bill Belichick will coach for another 10 or 15 years, and the next quarterback that leads the New England Patriots is going to look like a Lamar Jackson, Mm. a guy that's an explosive runner that can throw the football, but primarily he is explosive running the football because it makes it so hard on defenses, and you just see what the Ravens are doing, and I'm thinking to myself, can you imagine if the greatest football mind we have ever seen, which is Bill Belichick, mm-hmm. had a guy like Lamar Jackson and was able to basically build an entire offensive scheme and an entire team around that set of skills? It just is so much more difficult and it's so much easier on an offense to have a guy like that than to do the traditional stand back in the pocket and come up with a million Star Wars passing schemes to throw into these tiny little windows on time, on the money, over and over and over again down the field. It's just hard. Yeah. Whereas if you're spreading the teams out and you've got fast guys running in opposite directions on every play and the the quarterback's back there acting like he's Houdini or Chris Angel and he's faking all these different handoffs, 
the defense doesn't know where to go. And right. their angles to whoever has the ball are constantly changing. And all it takes is one guy out of the 11 to think the ball got handed off here when it really got handed off there. And now there's a huge seam and a huge gap because defensive football is still primarily uh, predicated on every man has a gap. And as long as all those gaps are covered, you can't gash us. But what a- when – there's Chris Angel in the backfield looking like Lamar Jackson. Nobody knows where the ball's going. There's just too <laughs> right. many moving parts, and you can't see where the football and who has it. I mean, what a going away present from Ozzie Newsome to the Baltimore Ravens. Because <laughs> yeah. if you said that Bill Belichick, he had a chance to get him. There are actually rumblings that he was going to take him at the end of that round because it was at, it was after the year he won the Super Bowl, and people thought that the Patriots were going to get him and do exactly what you're saying. And they did not do it. I wonder if Bill Belichick and then kicking themselves in the ass, like, damn, we should have had that guy. Uh, He's got to be because I don't know if you watched that Patriots game today, but there's no doubt Tom Brady is still a great quarterback. But oh man, he missed a lot of receivers today. Yep. And uh, this is for the Patriots fans because, as we know, as soon as somebody questions. Tom Brady's arm strength <laughs> or his age. He goes off and has about six touchdowns and 500 yards. So I'm going to go do it for my good friends that are Patriots fans and my good friends in the Patriots team. Tom Brady was looking old today. Yep. He was looking old. You're not lying, Joe. Man was looking old. There was one, there was specifically one deep throw that he had Edelman was wide open. Edelman had his man beat. It was a nice route. Tom Brady had a clean pocket. He stepped right into it and he fizzled it and went short. I mean, just imagine Tom Brady with that offense, mm. with the same weapons, with the with mm. the security blankets of Mohamed Sanu, Julian Edelman, and just because the thing about Lamar Jackson, as you noticed, all he needs is three tight ends. He doesn't need much. <laughs> he doesn't need splash players. You give him three guys in the middle of the field, Edelman, Sanu, and he'll he'll make it work. Mm. All right, what do we got next, John? Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson exchanged jerseys after the game. Do you guys see this? Uh, Baltimore's yes. win over Houston. Deshaun wrote MVP at the bottom of his jersey, and people assumed this meant Deshaun was calling Lamar the MVP. But he never signed his name. Then he gave an ambiguous answer when asked about it in the postgame presser. Yeah, I just wrote, you know, um, always love, keep keep going, keep grinding. Uh, wrote MVP on it. And, uh, you know, he's like, a, he's like a brother to me, you know. I'm proud of him. Um, that's what I told him. And keep going, stay healthy, you know, keep, you know, leading this team, you know. I wrote MVP on it for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's love. It's all respect. You know, he played well today. So, I mean, it's a lot of season left. Who knows what can happen? You know, Russell, me, Christian, Aaron, who knows? But, I mean, hey, you know, I just, you know, showing love. Am I tripping or was Deshaun signing the jersey MVP himself? No. And not calling Lamar Jackson no. MVP and then forced to backpedal in the press conference. <laughs> I, I am I am calling. I'm going to say you're tripping. He was calling Lamar Jackson the MVP. But here's the thing about Deshaun Watson. Everything he does is measured in the media. Like even when you watched him super uh, explain the coverages, mm-hmm. he honestly wanted to be like, "Hey, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I do this for a living. Shut up!" Like, but he stopped himself to say, "Do you understand what is going on? Let me explain it to you," because he's very cognizant of how people view him. Because he he's the face of the franchise, and it's something that he doesn't take lightly. And you might say, "Hawk, how the hell do you know? You don't play for the Texans. You don't. You never played with Deshaun Watson." I'm glad you said that, John. A little bit of an asshole move, but I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I interviewed Deshaun in the offseason, right, um, for Gillette Show. And in that, he had a quote in there um, that, again, after we said it, we talked about it. And he was like, you know what? I just don't, I don't, that could be easily taken out of context. So I want to make sure that's not in there. 
right? Because I don't want to put my team in that situation. And I was like, you know, that's a smart thing to do. That's what a leader would do. The quote was gone, scrubbed away. But I, that's how I know that when he's answering these questions, he's trying to be as diplomatic as possible, understanding that people wanted to take that and run with it for headlines all week long. So he didn't want to commit to it. But he was very much so saying Lamar Jackson was the MVP. It was interesting, though. Why didn't he just say that? He doesn't I, have that I confidence totally yet. agree that Deshaun is a very humble, thoughtful, respectful person, and he was definitely writing MVP for Lamar. But why didn't he just come out and say that? Like, ah, you know, they, they outplayed us today. I think Lamar is playing fantastic football. He's playing like he's the MVP. If we voted today, I would vote for him. Yeah. Why didn't he just say that? It just was a weird thing for him to say, like, yeah, I love him. Um, there's like three or four guys that could be the MVP right now. I mean, uh, you know, you never know how it's going to shake out. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, I, I it think he was funny. just and he's a really smart, like savvy guy. So he's yeah. clearly he knows what he's about to talk about. You're right. I have no idea. What we got next, John? Yeah, interesting. The Colts beat the Jags this week, but the story of the game on Twitter, at least, was Quentin Nelson scoring a touchdown <laughs> that was later taken off the board and doing a fake keg stand in the end zone. Guys, am I tripping, or was Quentin Nelson's keg stand the best fat guy celebration of all time? Joe, this is your area. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to answer this. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> this is 100. percent The floor that. is Joe Thomas. I'm going to say that it is the best fat guy celebration of all time. <laughs> but not only that, it's probably the greatest. End zone celebration we've yes. ever seen. There's been some good ones in recent memory. Uh, I liked the Duck Duck Goose, Duck Duck Gray Duck yep, that, that the Vikings did. Uh, I liked the bowling one. I forget who did that one. Um, the Steelers had been pretty creative for a little while. I thought they have done some funny things. But uh, nobody has done a better one than a keg stand in the end zone, which was perfectly <laughs> executed. He had all of his other fat buddies <laughs> lifting him up. And uh, I worked out with Quentin Nelson this summer in Chicago when we were both in town for um, – a country concert we have uh, some mutual friends and so i worked out with him and that's not a little man to pick up i mean i, I know i lost <laughs> some weight but i don't think i could pick that guy up anymore i mean he is one cheeseburger he's one popeye spicy chicken sandwich away from 360 so uh props to his teammates for being able to lift him up and not the being smushed like a pancake i'm not answering now don't look for me don't pause for me to rebuttal right. i told you All right. it was well over. hey in that case it's settled. you know what it is it's time for another let's do run pass option. Run it or pass it. Run it. Run, run, run pass option. You got to love another let's do a run pass option. <laughs> let's do another run. <laughs> let's do it. Pass option. All right. RP. Producer John and run pass option. If you've been living under a rock, he says the topic that's happened from Sunday football, me and Joe have the option to either run it and talk about it or pass it because ultimately, we don't care. John, what do you got? Pats beat Birds 17-10 in Super Bowl 52 revenge game. Joe, run it or pass it? I'm going to run it. And I'm going to say we've already talked a little bit about how Brady struggled. Um, the Patriots defense looked real nice. Carson Wentz lost his left tackle Lane Johnson and was sacked five times when Lane was not in there. Uh, just proves that offensive linemen are worthless and you shouldn't <laughs> spend money on them. But I will say Lane Johnson's a fantastic offensive tackle. Um, but the most impressive thing from that game was the Hail Mary from Wentz at the end of the game. He was falling away and he threw it like 70 yards, which was the best Hail Mary throw I've ever seen. <laughs> Ding! Oh, nice, Joe. You're getting – yeah, you got it. All right, well, I am going to pass it. 
Hawk passes. 49ers rally past Cardinals. Jimmy G hangs up four TDs. Hawk, run it to pass it. Um, Run it. <laughs> Kyler Murray, man. Kid's legit. Okay? If, if you thought anything other than that, he is going to be a tear in the NFL. He made the right decision not going to baseball because when you watch him, he does not look like a rookie. Yes, they lost this game, but it's only a matter of time for he gets a couple more pieces and he starts to have the same impact that we're watching with Lamar. Maybe not in the run game, but in the passing game, he probably has the livest arm in the National Football League. Couple that with incredible quickness and speed. He's going to be a matchup problem. Uh, and also, 49ers are pretty good. Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan drink. Don't ding it. Don't up. Oh, okay, you're gonna ding it anyway, Chris. All right, whatever. <laughs> Joe, runner to pass it. I'm gonna pass it, but I love watching Kyler Murray. He's a fun guy to watch. He's very different. So is that offense. I watch them every time they're on TV. They had a chance to win today. Falcons dominate Panthers 29-3 for second straight division road win. Joe, runner to pass it. Pass, but. Kyle Allen right now is going through the classic rookie where you, you play really well for like five or six games and then the defenses figure out what your weakness is, come up with yep. a good game plan, and he's going to be in a slump here for a while until he figures out how to improve on the things that he's getting attacked with from those defenses. Weird pass, but okay. Hawk, run her to pass it. <laughs> that would be a drink situation, by the way. I'm going <laughs> to run it at me. Run it. So two things. Number one, you said it, Kyle Allen. Cam Newton, go take your house off the market in Charlotte. Do not sell. <laughs> tell, if it's in escrow, tell them you, you renege. Give them whatever fee that's necessary. You're not leaving Charlotte. I think that's what we're seeing from Kyle Allen because Joe is exactly right. Number two, the Falcons made NFL history because this is the first time the players-only meeting has succeeded. <laughs> they did the players-only meeting a couple weeks ago, and they have been playing lights oh, out. I've sorry. never seen anything like it. One thing oh, that, that happened differently, uh, Dan Quinn – made Raheem Morris the defensive coordinator, changing him from the receiver coach. And the defense started playing better, and more peculiarly, the receivers started playing better. It's the damnedest things I've ever seen in my life in football. <laughs> there it is. That's a good one. A thank you, thank you, thank you. Double win. Saints improved to 8-2 and two over Buccaneers. Jameis chalks up four more picks in home loss. Hawk, runner to pass it. Oh, I'm going to run it. This is my last run? Last run. Damn it, and my clock already started. Okay, so... I wish I wouldn't have run it, but I'm going to now. Uh, Michael Thomas should have entered the MVP conversation. The team is really good that he's put the team on his back. When Drew wasn't there, when Teddy was there, when Kamara goes down, he is that kind of player. I wasn't a huge Michael Thomas believer at the beginning of the season, but watching him and succeed in the way he goes about his business, he's more important to his team than almost any other player in the league. Also, um, Jameis Winston, you should have a seat on the bench. That's all I got to say about that. Jameis, I think that project is over. It is time to figure out something else, okay? And it is not Jameis Winston. I'm going to go have a drink. See you guys later. Joe, runner to pass it. Pass. The Jameis Winston that we saw at the beginning of the season where we said, oh, he's been reformed. The quarterback whisperer, Bruce Arians, he's fixed him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Bring in the next guy. So Hawks out of runs. Joe, you have two more left. Can I use a run from a previous episode that I didn't use? Come on. Joe breaks the rules every day. You can't give me one extra run. Yeah, I'm sure you I'm can sorry. find, you can find rules, ways Hawk. to pepper your takes. He took my run last week. <laughs> not only did I not use one, he took the other one. Which one do you want? Which game do you want? I want uh, Raiders Bengals. All right. We'll jump there. Raiders come from behind to take down winless Bengals. Hawk, your fourth down going for it run. Take <laughs> going it away. for it. 
Bengals are 0-10. The schedule is not getting easy any easier. They are looking down the barrel of an 0-16 run. That's fine. I'm a Bengal. I grew up a Bengals fan. I played for the Bengals. I love that organization. Like family, they gave me my first opportunity. What I'm saying is this. All of you people out there, as the official podcast of Hugh Jackson, you better keep that same effing energy. <laughs> all right? When he goes 0-16 with a probably twice as good a roster as we had in Cleveland in 2016 and 17, nice. you better keep that same energy. Every position, with the exception of left tackle, is better than we were in Cleveland. So you've been warned because I'm going to let everyone have it on Twitter. <laughs> Joe, Bengals, Raiders, runner to pass it. Uh, I'm going to run that. and All I'm going to say is for two years we've been destroying – John Gruden and company for getting rid of Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, trading Amari Cooper, thank you, uh, drafting some questionable players in the first round the mm-hmm. last couple of years, and all of a sudden he's got Derek Carr playing like he was a few years ago when he was an MVP. Yep, Their defense is playing better right now. Their offense is really moving well, but they look like a really good team that's very well coached. And so maybe we are the idiots and not John <laughs> yeah. Rudin. Maybe they had a really good plan all along. <laughs> Who would have thought Mike Mayock had it all together and we didn't? <laughs> all right, Joe, you got one more left. Broncos blow 20-0 to zero halftime lead to Vikings in Minnesota. Runner to pass it. Pass. Dak goes for 444. Three tutties, no picks in road win over Lions. Runner to pass it. I'm going to pass that. I mean, run that. I like I like this one. So Dak is another one of these quarterbacks that's very likable, in my opinion. We talk about Lamar Jackson being really likable. He reminds me of Heinz Ward. Remember Heinz Ward did everything with a smile on his face? Yep. He was like a really hardworking, tough receiver for the Steelers, but he just always had a smile, and he always had this joy. I get that with Dak a little bit when I watch him, and so he's a guy that I really cheer for, and he is playing lights out right now. Uh, continuing at this rate, the Cowboys are about to make him the highest-paid player in yeah. NFL history. He's earned it the old-fashioned way. He's earned it. Yep, and his, his hips. Playing. He's like, you got Shakira it's hips, that, man. That hip, hip Throwing thrust. those things and all over, by the, way, all over Zeke, the stadium. Yeah, Zeke in the end zone gave a little nod to that, uh, that he did. hip flip thing. That was that nice. We're, we're talking that as a celebration. That was pretty slick. Before we get out of here, it is time to decide on this week's Tomahawk catchphrase, which we don't have yet. But what we're going to do is we're going to play a recap of our last week one that we chose at the live show, which was we are on the gravy train with biscuit wheels. That's what the crowd, the live crowd in Cleveland voted on. And me and Joe went right to Thursday Night Football to, to do our thing. Play it up, Chris. Tonight, the Brownies are going to be on the gravy train with biscuit wheels. I tell you what, 17-10 Brownies. It's going to be a low-scoring game. Pretty cold out there. Going to be a running-the-football type of game tonight for both teams. They don't do that. You know what? Joe actually used it twice because when we were also on, what was the show we were on together with, with Andrew? First look. First look. Andrew Siciliano. D- Joe, mm, Joe was committed. I, I give it to him. We hit it again flawlessly. That, that was my favorite part of the live show, Joe, when they played the mashup of the catchphrase game. 
That was pretty funny. Oh, man. Michael Irvin was on the floor belly laughing. It was almost like it just clicked for him just then what had been going on for 11 weeks. Like, like wait a minute. There was a reason you were making a fool out of yourself every yeah, week. Yeah, he's probably texting everyone back home like, this guy is an idiot. Uh, all right, so we're taking submissions uh, for, for next week. Hit us up on Twitter. At Tomahawk Show, Facebook group, Tomahawk, voicemail line, 440-628-1376. Let us know what this week's catchphrase should be. My brother called me with the submission. His submission was, nobody doubt it. <laughs> That's his thing. Like That's So you just, you, nobody doubt it, the Steelers are going to do X, Y, Z. Nobody doubt, that was his, he said he wanted to call and make an official submission. So add that into the list, nobody doubt it. That is... <laughs> An official submission for the Tomahawk catchphrase game. So hit us up on social media or everywhere else to uh, to vote on it, and we'll pick one before the week is out. All right, that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. Joe, final thoughts? Yeah, final thoughts this week, a little different than normal. I just wanted to take an opportunity to thank all the great people that were involved behind the scenes mm. for the great 100th episode live show. Uh, people uninterrupted put together honestly the greatest live podcast that has ever been recorded you're right uh, most live podcasts for those of you who have been involved or gone to them previously it's four dudes with mics sitting on bar stools and talking <laughs> and we turned it into an entertainment event uh the day after at our production meeting with the nfl network people they were completely blown away we talked about it at the beginning of our meeting and they said that they were stunned with how much production was put together, how good everything flowed, how seamless the transitions were, and how much fun the crowd had. Um, so compliments to all the people that were involved, all those people behind the scenes, uh, and all the people at UN. You guys killed it. Um, I didn't think it was going to work. We picked the <laughs> coldest night of the year in Cleveland uh, after the Browns have struggled most of the season. And for some reason, we still had 400 people show up and ex absolutely go ballistic and scream our names, including Joe Hawk yourself at the end. So I love definitely it. a highlight of my media career, probably a highlight of my football career too, since there weren't many other highlights. <laughs> so uh, just a special night all around. And, and thanks to you, Hawk, for encouraging us to do it in spite of my negativity. Joe, you're the man, bro. Killed it 100 episodes in. Here's to 100 more. Again, shout out to the guys behind the scenes. Um, we're going to name them by name really quick. We got Logan. We got Chris. We got John. We got Saul. We got Matt Perret. We got TD, of course. Paris was involved. Aaron. Who else am I forgetting? Make sure I don't miss anybody. Lojo. We got Donnie. We got... Uh, um, who else? That's good. Amanda from House of Blues. Amanda from House of Blues. She was amazing. Helping us out with the Mission Barbecue and all of your drink requests. Yes. What were you guys drinking in the back? Maker's Mark. I don't know. I was drinking bleach. The Tomahawk Joyce drink of choice. It's DJ yeah. Steph Floss. She's gonna hear that. It was a huge part of the night. Happy. Um, who else? Who else am I missing? We got Fat Dad NFD. We said them earlier. Again, everybody who was a part of this podcast help it happen. We appreciate you. Um, it's been an awesome part of experience of our lives. We're going to keep it going. And here we're going to let the Tomaflock take us out. <laughs>